This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined by Gabby Urrutia, two survivors of Hurricane Nicole. Uh, We are recording this podcast late on Thursday afternoon just because one of the storm to move through and it has moved through. Internet intact. So here we are. It is Georgia Tech week, battle of the four and five squads. But before Ooh. we get to discussing the Georgia Tech game, uh, we need to talk recruiting because that's what matters most at this point of the season with Miami now again at four and five. Gabby dropped a really good article earlier this week on the website, uh, VIP Recruiting Notes, where he kind of shared uh, the temperature of where things stand with those guys that visited for the Florida state game. I think, you know, it's good to do that a few days removed from the game, take the emotion of the game out of, uh, you know, where things stand with those players. And, and frankly, Gabby, I think, uh, it read at least that Miami feels better about where things are midweek compared to where things were immediately after that 45 to three loss, which does make sense. But before we get into that, I mean, part of this, you, you hinted at uh, a secret visitor, I guess. I don't know uh, how secret he necessarily was. Cause he was outside of Samson Oak and Lola. Right. He, he was the biggest dude standing on the sideline, um, but he is committed to South Carolina Defensive tackle, Xavier McLeod. We can discuss him now because he put it out there himself that he visited Miami this past weekend. Gabby, what do we need to know about him and this situation? Yeah, I mean, definitely a huge deal that Miami got him on campus. Uh, Again, South Carolina commit. This is one that they've been kind of working on behind the scenes. I mean, just kind of thinking back to the summer months, I remember getting the kind of like the list of – the legends camp guys, some of the top prospects they're expecting Xavier McLeod was on there. You know, I don't think it ever materialized. I think maybe it was kind of wishful thinking that he would make it down at that point. He was uncommitted, um, all that stuff at that point, but he kind of in the summer months became someone became a prospect that they kind of circled, identified 
you know, along that interior defensive line, he ended up committing to South Carolina, you know, a, a little bit later after the summer, maybe, I think it was maybe August, uh, but Miami just kind of kept chipping away, kind of ch- kept chipping away. I remember having a conversation back then, you know, after he had committed to South Carolina, uh, you know, with them kind of with the, I guess the thought being like, you know, don't be surprised if, you know, in a month, you know, again, op- being optimistic, you know, if Xavier McLeod is in this class, obviously it hasn't been that quickly, but the result maybe could potentially be the same. I don't know, obviously still committed to South Carolina, but they did get him down for a November visit. Um, and again, this is a, it's a really, really big deal. They really need interior defensive linemen. I mean, they've only signed one at the position over the last two cycles, Ahmad Moten, the only yeah. one we can remember, they don't have one committed this cycle. So uh, Xavier McLeod, definitely a high priority for those in Coral Gables. And, uh, you know, again, big step forward in getting him on campus. And I think it was Andrew Ivins that wrote it or, or put it out there. They were, I mean, last cycle, there were 88 flips between Power 5 programs to Power 5 programs between Thanksgiving and Christmas, which is essentially the week of, uh, you know, the early signing period this uh, this year. So, you know, never know what could happen there. Miami it'll definitely loves them. Yeah, it could be more. Just the high number of early commitments. Yeah, it's going to be a yep. wild season. So just kind of. And IL too. Right. But yeah, Xavier McLeod from Camden, South Carolina. Uh, 24-7 sports has him ranked number 145 overall in the country. Four-star guy. Uh, the composite, which is the industry average, has him at number 175 overall in the country. So uh, he's definitely a big-time recruit. Um, we'll see where this goes. Was he was he an OV, Gabby, or an unofficial as far as you know? Yeah, no, that was, it, it was an unofficial visit, um, which, again, okay. I think is also a positive that they kind of got him down here. Yeah. And they could still use that OV later at a later time, you know, before – that early signing period, which is obviously a big deal. All right. Next up. I mean, you don't need to, you've already kind of discussed why Miami's in this recruitment with Samson Okanlola, uh, the NIL opportunities, the business opportunities that the commerce of South Florida offers is intriguing to him as well as obviously Mario Cristobal, former offensive line coach being the head coach at Miami. Um, But just overall, Things still feel good from a Miami perspective with Samson after that game. Definitely. I would say Miami's still feeling good about where they stand. Um, again, they, they've been just kind of at the forefront of that recruitment since the summer months. They got them down for that late official visit. Um, again, getting them down is a really, really big deal just for these unofficial visits. I mean, on his dime, uh, getting down here to check out that game, spending a lot of time around uh, the commits and stuff like that, spent a couple of days down in the South Florida area. So that's a huge, huge deal for Miami at this stage of the process. Hakeem Jackson, the four-star cornerback that is committed to Florida. Um, You know, after that game, when when we recorded on Sunday and you were just kind of reviewing who was was there from a recruiting standpoint, seemed like you didn't feel too good about where things were at with Jakeem and Miami. Seemed like after reading your article, though, and, and after you checked in with more sources about the situation, seems like you might be feeling a little more optimistic about Miami's chances here. Yeah, definitely feeling better than I was on Sunday. Just kind of, again, just talking to more people. It seems like, again, there there's kind of a, a legitimate interest. You know, he's, he is committed to Florida. He seems to be kind of checking out his options, did officially visit Kentucky, got down to Miami. I do think that there's something pretty intriguing about playing Coral Gables alongside Cormani McLean. 
I do think that, you know, there are different angles that Miami's working here. And I think there's reason to believe that Miami's very much alive in this recruitment. We're talking about flips and what a crazy season this is about to be. I mean, it's going to be wild. It's going to be potentially crazier than ever. I don't think that, you know, when these kids are taking visits, I don't think they're just kind of on a whim, like, oh, let me go check out these games. I think all these visits matter. I think all these visits lead to, you know, serious conversations and, you know, win or loss for Miami right now. Again, let's not forget the era that we are now in. And, uh, you know, I do think that all that stuff definitely ends up playing a factor. So when guys come down to Miami to visit, I think it's very much a, a business trip because, uh, you know, they are trying to, you know, figure out if this is the place for them. And of course, always sorting through the off-field opportunities that have become, you know, pretty obvious here, uh, you know, just kind of seeing how Miami players have been taken care of and all those different types of things. So yeah, Jakeem Jackson, I think falls into the category of prospects, giving Miami a really hard look. Staying at corner, uh, Damari Brown, Ovid to Miami uh, for this Florida State game. Local guy, American Heritage, Plantation, four-star corner. Uh, the big thing you wrote in your update on Wednesday is that it is shaping up to be a Miami-Alabama battle. Yeah. Tell us what, what this means. Yeah, I think a lot of things going on here. Uh, Alabama's kind of always been involved. They obviously got Damari Brown on campus for an official visit over the summer. I think that, you know, eventually Alabama, you know, kind of pivoted to Cormani McLean, really trying to win out that recruitment. I think at one point this cycle, it seemed like Alabama could have potentially been in the driver's seat. I think when they missed out on Cormani McLean, it was kind of a pivot to Damari Brown. I think that's kind of next man up on the board for them. I've kind of just done a really good job kind of getting back into the mix there. Of course, Alabama rosters Earl Little Jr., who played at Plantation American Heritage. Uh, Patrick Chetain Jr. went to Alabama out of Plantation American Heritage, had a very successful career there. So I think that there's, uh, of course, you know, the intrigue of Alabama. And then I think something else that maybe, you know, potentially hurt Miami or, you know, you know, maybe got Alabama more involved here was the Desmond Rick situation. I think Alabama felt like they're in a good spot there with Desmond Ricks. He kind of visits LSU for that big win over the Crimson Tide. Seems like LSU has the inside track there. So I think Damari Brown becomes kind of, you know, top of the board, kind of available cornerback for, for Alabama while they continue to chip away at Ricks and those different types of things. But it does seem like Alabama's maybe focused a little bit more on Damari Brown, which of course makes things a little bit more difficult for Miami. Damari Brown's also had a kind of a tough go at it in terms of Miami games. I mean, he was at the Middle Tennessee State game, brutal yeah. loss. Uh, he was at the North Carolina game, I believe you know, tough loss. He was at the Florida state game. I mean, blowout loss. I mean, he has not had the most pleasant experiences at hard rock stadium this fall. And I get that overall, there seems to be a consensus that these recruits have bought in, but for the guys that are not committed, which is something I think I touched on on the last podcast. I mean, I think you, you kind of look at that at some point and be like, all right, this is just like, I'm not having a good time when I'm here. Like these are not fun games to watch this team that I potentially want to go to sure. is just losing all these big games that I'm kind of coming to. So I think that's something to potentially watch out for. I'm not writing off Miami by any means, uh, but I am watching Alabama and I do think the Crimson Tide uh, are, are creeping in this recruitment and are going to make things potentially very interesting down the stretch. I will say this, this was like, I don't know, two weeks before this Florida state debacle. Um, so it was after the middle Tennessee state and after the North Carolina games, but Damari just brought on his own when I spoke with him after one of his games, he brought up on his own, like he knows it is a rebuilding year and, and that's where Miami's at right now. So Miami's been giving him that messaging, but to your point, uh, he's seen it live and in person up close. 
like you and I have and how pleasant that experience is. Yeah. Um, Not exciting. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, last guy I want to touch on Tayshawn Lyons, uh, the wide receiver out of Tennyson High School in Hayward, California, Bay Area, wide receiver, uh, 6'3, 170 type. Um, how was his experience for the uh, Miami Florida State game? And um, where did the Canes stand after that one? Yeah, another one that, that again, I, I think it's, you know, got the kind of word that, you know, the on-field product, it is what it is. I don't think he came in with many expectations about what he was going to see on Saturday. He did say the environment was great. I mean, West Coast kid coming down to South Florida, watching a Miami game for the first time, I think that's the environment that you want to kind of set. And I think that, you know, that definitely passed the eye test. Uh, And then he kind of said everything off the field, you know, everything else about that, you know, multi-day unofficial visit. He ended up leaving like Monday afternoon, David, when we got there for press conferences, he was still in the building. So, um, you know, I I do think that they've done a really good job of kind of selling him on the program, all those different types of things. And again, his, 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 what he said to me is like, I'm here, you know, like I made the trip. I mean, I'm definitely interested. It sounded to me like he wants to get back to Washington one more time. That's a school that I think I noted um, is a, is, is maybe the the biggest competition to Miami right now. So he did, he did say that whether he's committed to a school that could be Miami, it could be another school. Sounds like he's probably going to take a a December official visit to Miami. Um, Let's see if some other schools here get involved late. I know he told uh, Brandon Huffman that Tennessee, Maryland, Georgia are a couple schools kind of knocking on the door. So if any of those, you know, especially some of those sec powers kind of get involved, I wonder how interesting that'll make it. But right now, I do think it's Miami and Washington kind of going toe-to-toe. And, you know, I do think that the Hurricanes have put themselves in a, in a really good spot. And uh, I think Jordan Thompson, who's a wide receiver assistant, I think he deserves a lot of credit for this recruitment. He's been, uh, you know, heavily heavily involved, as have, you know, a lot of Miami off-field staffers throughout different recruitments. I mean, DeMarcus Van Dyke or Cormani McLean, I think if Miami's able to close on Tayshawn Lyons, it's Jordan Thompson who would deserve a lot of credit there. All right. Any anyone else you want to touch on specifically that I'm missing? Yeah, I mean, I I, I mean, I got a phone call today, David. Uh, you know, I I think one guy that I'm kind of monitoring very closely right now is Sharif Denson, the Florida commit, four-star cornerback. Okay. I do think Miami's kind of picking up conversations. I do think you know they're you know just with mom, dad, all those people. You know, I do think that there is uh you know mutual interest. I do think it's reciprocated. Right. I do think they're having important conversations right now, and I'm not saying that Sharif Denson is flipping to Miami tomorrow or anything like that, or, or that it's even happening at all. But that's def. I know that's what I, I think I dropped the cornerback notes like maybe a week or two ago when I came back from the, from paternity leave, Sharif Denson was one of the names that I threw in there. I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of hammering home that, you know, he's definitely someone Miami wants and, you know, Damari yeah. Brown kind of up in the air, Jakeem Jackson, obviously someone that they're really going after Sharif Denson is another one that they're kind of trying to attack. I think if they can find a way to land two of those guys into this to kind of cap off this defensive back class, I think they would be very happy with that. Right. And Sharif, I don't know if you noted, but he is a Florida commit. So yeah. uh, trying to flip those gators. One thing I want to discuss too, uh, we don't have to go too in depth on it, but you wrote another interesting article too. You went back and tracked. I don't know how far back you went. What'd you go? Like 10 years? Yeah, I think it was like 12 recruiting cycles. So okay. it was like the 2011 cycle through the, I guess, the 2023 cycle. So I guess 11 full cycles. Okay. So that's basically like the 24 7 sports right. era. Okay. 
and uh, you went back and looked at programs that had a losing record yeah. and still uh, signed a top 10 class. Yeah. What do you feel like you learned from that exercise? Yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag of things, right? Um, you know, I do think that obviously things are th – the recruiting – era is different now with, you know, the transfer portal and name, image, and likeness. So I think that's, uh, I think those are factors that obviously are hard to kind of measure how much they weigh compared to some of those other things. Um, you know, there are examples of just really, you know, programs that kind of just took a step back, you know, that have kind of been established. I'm looking at 2017 Notre Dame, that Brian Kelly era. I mean, they had played for a national championship, uh, you know, a few, I think it was like four years before that uh, they right. go four and eight still sign, uh, you know, the number 10 class. Um, a couple, a couple, just you know, really tenures that just didn't work out. I mean, I'm looking at Butch Jones in Tennessee, Charlie Strong in Texas, Will Muschamp at Florida. Um, then those kind of transition, and I mean, I think that there's positives. You know, it's not necessarily the same exact situation at, as Miami. But you look at 2013 Auburn. I mean, they go three and nine. They fired Gene Chizik. They hired Gus Malzahn, and then they play for a national championship the next year. And then the same deal with like Ohio State in 2012, kind of like that buffer period between Jim Tressel. When they kind of are investigated, he gets let go. Luke Fickle takes over. They have a six and seven year. They hire Urban Meyer the next year. And, uh, you know, that's then the, that's all she wrote. And in that, in that class, they ended up signing Cardell Jones and Michael Thomas, uh, who were obviously key figures. And I think the Buckeyes eventually winning right. a national championship. So, and then you got Clemson in there, you know, early Dabo Sweeney kind of went six and seven one year after kind of after going nine and four, you know, I think it was year three of him at Clemson. And then obviously they go on a very, very impressive run where they only signed a, a class outside of the top 15 once between the 2012 cycle and, and today. So, you know, there's kind of, it's just kind of like, we, we don't really know exactly what it's going to be. I don't think that there's a clear line or just clear indicator on which way that this typically goes, but I think that there's examples of yeah. success. Um, there's examples of failures uh, and, you know, it's just kind of, it was just an interesting study, I think, and I think 2022 Texas is is one that yeah. maybe we're going to look at that's maybe the most prevalent example and what they're doing year over year. And again, it's not perfect this year, but going from, I think it was five and seven to, you know, they nearly beat Alabama. They've already surpassed that win total and are showing promise. I think the, the thing to keep in, the main takeaway is teams have done it. Teams have had losing records and signed a top 10 class. So I think that's the first thing. Uh, what I would push back against is correlating teams that uh, signed a top 10 class with a losing record. And then that means wild success down the road, because you can't judge any coach off one recruited class. You have to be able to stack classes. And so, you know, I have no doubt that Mario Cristobal is going to sign a top 10 class this year. Um, I, I don't know if this top 10 class, however, at the high school level will correlate to wins next season. I think that that happens via the transfer portal, which is a new thing, right? So, um, if, if Mario Cristobal can land a top 10 high school class and land 10 or so transfers, that can be an immediate impact players and help Miami win eight, nine games next year. Uh, then guess what? Mario Cristobal is probably going to sign another top 10 class next year. So it's about doing it over um, three or four years, uh, signing top 10 recruiting classes. Uh, 
Um, and so I think the main point of your article is, look, this season's in the tank. It is what it is. But there are examples of top 10 classes. I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but were there any examples of top five classes? Yeah, I think, I, I think there were. I think um, I think Texas had one. Texas had a, a, a the number four class last year. Um, no, this was this was I'm looking I'm, I'm at the bottom. So 2011, 2011 Texas. So this was like late uh, Mac Brown. OK, um, let me see. Ohio State at 2012 uh, Ohio State class was ranked number five. And that's the one they signed Cardell Jones, Michael Thomas, Noah Spence was a was a five star that year. Um, I'm trying to see any other ones. Yeah, that Butch Jones signed a number three class in 2015. Right. And that had Alvin Kamara, Kyle Phillips, Preston Williams. And then the next year he signed the number three class again, had Khalil McKenzie, which who was like a five-star defensive lineman at that point. So yeah, I mean, it's not only top 10 classes. I mean, there were top five classes. There were, you know, number seven classes, all those different types of things. I mean, right. again, it was kind of, there was examples of, of, elite recruiting classes and it just yeah it just kind of depends right so it has been done obviously eventually you got to turn the corner and get wins on the field uh, but this is mario's first full recruiting class he's going to be given that grace period by the recruits uh, that want to be a part of building something for the future selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. And with that, we will turn to uh, the Georgia Tech game. Gabby, I don't, just because where the season's at, we don't need to get like in depth in depth like we have been on our right. typical game preview pods, but do want to discuss kind of the main talking points, I think. Um, and, and from a Georgia tech perspective, I think you got to start at quarterback. So uh, Jeff Sims, who is their 
has been their starting quarterback up until sustaining what is, I believe, an ankle injury a few weeks ago. Uh, he is back practicing, but I still expect Zach Pyron, who is a true freshman quarterback, led the Yellow Jackets to a 28-27 win. Um, this past week, it was a comeback when they were down, what, 27-16, I think. Uh, so Zach Pyron was a big part of that. He, he completed 19 of 32 passes for 253, uh, and one touchdown through an interception that was a pick six. Um, and he also ran the ball 17 times for 66 yards and a touchdown. So he's kind of a bigger frame guy, six three two thirteen for, for a true freshman has pretty good size. I wouldn't say he's like the twitchiest athlete, but he is kind of a downhill guy that's not afraid of contact as a runner, yeah. can work the read option. I think he's a resilient guy. I think he's a good leader. I think he's a guy that the offense clearly kind of rallied around when you yeah. watched a little bit of their game this last week. Um, and the most impressive thing, you know, he engineered a nine-play, 73-yard game-winning touchdown drive with three minutes left in the game. That ended up winning the game for Georgia Tech. So just their quarterback. Also, he's a redhead. Um, <laughs> so beware of the redheads. But uh, what are your thoughts on Zach Pyron? Yeah, gritty. I mean, that's kind of like the yeah. adjective kind of I took away from watching him. I mean, you talk about the end. I mean, just watching that. I mean, as much of the Virginia Tech game as I could, I couldn't find a, even a condensed game or a full game. But kind of watching his they had like a two minute highlight tape on him. Even how they kind of how he kind of got into the end zone late in the game, just kind of threw his body into into, into the. I'm not sure if that if that was the game winning score. I thought it was where he just kind of like it was. I mean, it was just kind of the run, kind of full head of steam, like no regard for himself or anything else. Like he was kind of you know trying to get into the end zone to win his team the ball game. So um, I thought he made some impressive throws. You know, kind of just kind of you know just kind of squeak uh, snuck it into some some tight windows. Um, you know, again, I think he was, I think he was solid, you know, again, he was a four-star quarterback coming out. I mean, yeah. we had a 90 grade on him. He was committed to Baylor, Dave Aranda at one point before yeah. eventually signing with Georgia Tech, getting an opportunity now. So um, again, I think it's kind of one of, again, you're Georgia Tech, you're four and five, you're starting a true freshman quarterback. I think he's taken that opportunity and kind of run with it. I felt, again, I feel like he's kind of performed well. I feel like he's kind of managed the offense, not, hasn't been perfect by any stretch, but again, seems like a guy that has a, a, a high competitive drive and, and kind of seems to go the, that extra mile or, or however you want to say yeah. it to, to kind of move the sticks or do whatever he has to do. I mean, again, I think there's another hit against Virginia tech where he just kind of threw his body. Like he just looked ugly. Like he got popped kind yep. of got back up, just kind of kept kind of rolling and, and rolling with the punches. So Zach Pyron, I mean, hat tip to him. I think that he's going to, you know, keep things very interesting for, for that Miami defense. That's obviously kind of struggled here over the last few weeks. You mentioned it. He's a, he's a four-star guy out of high school he's from the state of alabama and i believe he's a three-time state champion so guy guy that knows how to win um top receiver i think is is worth highlighting his name is nate mccullough works out of the slot he's a yards after catch guy so uh you know miami struggled at times with tackling here um he's a guy to keep an eye on in that quick game because he uh he will hurt a defense with some yak. Uh, they're running backs to me. It's kind of like a by committee approach. Uh, nothing too scary there, but um, you know, got to do your job and tackle guys. Uh, offensive line is kind of bad, kind of like how Virginia's was when Miami played them. 
was it two weeks ago now? So uh, Miami's defensive line should be able to win that battle up front. Um, defensively, the thing that kind of stands out to me about uh, Georgia Tech defensively is their linebackers. I think they have two good linebackers in uh, Charlie Thomas, who plays on the outside, and Ace Ely, who's their middle guy. Uh, you know, it's kind of another example of the opposing team having much better linebackers than what Miami has. Um, but they are kind of the, the best players on that side of the ball for the Yellow Jackets. Both, uh, they, they each have 86 tackles on the season. They're both uh, creeping up on 10 tackles for loss on the year. So two, two linebackers that are rangy, get the job done. Uh, missed tackles are kind of a thing for them. Uh, but overall, they, they make up for it with really strong play overall. Anything stand out to you about their defense? Yeah, turnovers. Um, you know, I think they're number three in the country in turnovers gained this year. Um, you know, so I think that they they definitely find ways to to force the ball the ball out of the ball carrier's hands, whether it's interceptions, whether it's forcing fumbles. So I think they're going to be active in that in that regard, trying to rip the ball out of Miami's hands. And obviously, a team that has struggled with mass turnovers with that uh eight turnover performance against Duke. Um, so, yeah, I think that's one thing that definitely stands out outside of, you know, some of the guys that you mentioned. So, I mean, they they're they kind of play that aggressive style where they're going to kind of try to get it out of there. So, again, yeah. not perfect, uh, you know, in terms of just like overall top to bottom talent or anything like that. Um, but they do find a way to turn the ball over as good as anyone in the country. So that's something to be aware of. Yeah, they will blitz you. Uh, I believe they have 10 picks on the year, which is, I don't know, second or third most in the ACC. Um, so I agree. Keon white is maybe a guy to watch on the D line. He's, he's an old dominion transfer. He transferred to Georgia tech last year. I think he got an injury that knocked him out of the season, but he's healthy this year. And he is their top, uh, edge guy in terms of pass rushing. Um, one other thing to note, Georgia tech is probably the worst punt coverage team in the country. They are allowing 18 yards per punt return, and they have allowed three punt return touchdowns on the year. So this is a game to crack one uh, in the punt return game. Um, That hidden yardage battle, you know, Miami's offense has been a mess. Uh, Those yards on special teams can be huge. Uh, Okay, let's just let's discuss what uh, just what we want to see from a Miami perspective this week. And I think, again, we got to start with quarterback. Um, I'll just share kind of what I'm hearing. It's kind of similar to last week. Um, in terms of Tuesday, Wednesday, it's mainly Jakari and Jake, uh, getting, getting reps with the first team. Um, last week I was under the impression Jake was getting like 75% of the first team reps. This week, I think it's, I think Jake's still probably getting more, but it's closer to 50 50. So maybe like a 60 40 ish split. Jakari's getting more first team reps than he did a week ago. Um, you know, Tyler's dealing obviously with his shoulder deal. And again, in terms of who starts, I, I assume it'll be either Jake or Jakari. That's what I said last week. And then I got word late on Thursday that Tyler was going to give it a go. I have not gotten that word uh, 
today, but, uh, you know, we'll see. And, um, so let's start there. Do you care who starts if let's say Tyler's out? Um, cause I don't know if there's really any reason to push it, but, uh, let's say Tyler's out. Or, uh, who would you rather, or do you care? Jake or Jakari? I think both will play, but do you yeah. care who starts? Yeah, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter to me who starts. I would like to see, again, I, I just think at this point of the year, I mean, I'm kind of just more intrigued by Jakari and and what he can do. Uh, again, I think, I mean, he's kind of back home in, in a way. I know he's kind of a South Georgia kid, but playing in Atlanta, you know, again, and I just, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think that Jakari brings something interesting, you know, that that's, in, you know, the physicality. And again, I kind of think, it's you already burned the red shirt, you know, like it's kind of baptism by fire for him right now. And again, I think that these are valuable reps that he can kind of get um, again, Jake, I feel like has, I feel like we've kind of seen what he is at this point. You know, I feel like he's gotten like multiple opportunities to kind of kind of just take the job to kind of make this like not even a question. Right. And he kind of hasn't done enough with those opportunities. And again, this is a Georgia tech team that, that, that forces a lot of turnovers. Jake was, you know, really, really turnover prone, uh, you know, just a few weeks ago. So, and I think honestly, he was kind of scared to make mistakes in, in the games following. And I think if you are, if you're, if you're going up to Georgia tech, trying to, to win the game, I feel like Jakari is just kind of like the wild card, the, the, you know, he's just kind of, kind of go put his body on the line the way he does, the way he does, the way we saw him do it. And um, I think he just gives you a different edge. I feel like maybe guys will rally around him, just him being young and, just kind of being that type of dude. I feel like the way Mario Cristobal talks about him, uh, I think you you can tell he has that mindset that he values. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's a heavy, heavy Jakari Brown showing on Saturday, but I, I would be, I would expect to see some Jake as well. Yeah. And it would be cool, I guess, you know, Jakari's obviously from the state of Georgia being a Valdosta guy would be cool to give him that opportunity as a starter. Um, but for me, I, I'm more interested in who finishes the game at quarterback because again I, I do think we'll see both and, and ultimately who finishes is going to come down to the results which quarterback is going to move the ball better get the job done um you know the biggest thing i want to see from an offensive standpoint gabby is an identity uh what do you want to do on offense because you know last week against florida state will mallory has zero targets in the game He's your top receiving threat, zero targets. Colby Young played plenty, played like 46 snap, forty-six of the like 55 snaps last week, but he doesn't start the game. Uh, it's just, I don't understand what the identity of this offense is supposed to be. And yes, things have changed during the course of the year. Injury luck has been bad, but you still need to go into a game in my, I mean, you got to go into a game having some sort of idea what you want to accomplish. So if Jakari is your guy, then have a plan at least to make defenses honor right. the threat of a pass. You know, if Jake is your guy, then trust him to push the ball downfield a little bit. Yes, the, the, the interceptions have been atrocious. Um, but you got to figure out, like, obviously, Jake, Jake isn't into the timing of the, you know, the timing element of this offense and the, you know, the zone coverages are tricking him into forcing some bad balls downfield. Um, so you got to 
for Jake, I think you got to devise some plans that give him give him some easier reads. Um, because, you know, having Jake go out and be the 125 yard game manager, I don't think is the answer either. So you got to dictate something to the defense, I guess is what I'm saying. And, uh, we have not seen that the last two weeks. So whoever the quarterback is, please just have a plan. What if, if you want Jakari to run the read option and you know, that's fine, but you got to have some passing elements off those read option looks. So I'll admit, I'm curious to see what Jakari can do with a week of preparing as a starting quarterback. Um, but I think we also, as a fan base, have to understand Jakari is not supposed to be playing this year. No. Um, it's a developmental process with him. So if he does play a larger role, let's see how it goes. Um, defensively, I don't know, man. I just want to see who's up for the fight. Um, I want to see who's going to tackle in space, who's going to communicate on the back end. Um, you know, this past week was disgusting. Who's going to shed blocks to try and get to the ball carrier? The, the FSU game was embarrassing from a defensive standpoint. Another 45-point game. You know, to me, Miami's best teams are always defined by nasty defenses. And uh, those defenses will fight you and compete all game long. Um, and to me, buy-in, buy-in with the coach shows up most on defense. Yeah. And the fight was there against Virginia the week before, you know, the red zone defense was awesome to watch. You thought Miami was turning the corner then against, you know, when, when Miami goes up a weight class and plays against a much better team in Florida state, Florida state punches Miami in the mouth and they wilt. I just want to see who's here for this. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like that's the way, that's the only thing that you could kind of like to, to expect at this point, right? Like who's not just going to kind of call it in and just like go through the motions on Saturday. Again, I don't think that this is a, an extremely explosive Georgia tech offense. I think that this is a game nope. that you should be able to kind of do what you want to do. I think, especially in the trenches, I think the defensive line should be able to kind of, you know, the Leonard Taylor is uh, Daryl Jackson, a key messador Goode who I feel like, you know, is playing slightly better than maybe he did Goudet's earlier in the year. Yeah, Goode, I think, is playing better than he has earlier in the year. And I think he, you know, I think some of these guys still have something to play for. You know, I think if you're a Goode, like you, if you want to play in the NFL, like, I think you yeah, got to put some more on guys. tape. Like, yeah, I mean, I think all these guys need to, need to do a lot more. So I do think that some of these, especially some of these upperclassmen, these guys that transferred in, I think they still have a lot to, to kind of do. And then, you know, again, who's, who's kind of, who's phoning it in and who's kind of here for it. I mean, you know, I maybe, I, I, again, I don't really know what else we can kind of expect to see from these guys. But yeah. Maybe you don't want to see some of those, you know, defensive, you know, miscommunications that lead to massive plays. Um, but really, I think it's about effort. It's about are these guys going to kind of put their hard hats on and and go play kind of a, you know, match, you said earlier, a matchup between two, four and five teams. Nothing glamorous about Miami Georgia Tech on Saturday. So, uh, you know, I think it's going to be an OK atmosphere from what Mario Cristobal said. I guess they're doing a whiteout or something like that with Miami in town. Um, so, you know, I think there will be some juice uh, from the Georgia Tech sidelines. I think you got to you got to match it, man. You just got to kind of show up and play. So. Hopefully that you can do that against, I think, a Georgia Tech Georgia Tech team that's a little bit revitalized under Brent Key. 
you know, as as the interim. Yeah. I feel like they're playing with a little bit more, you know, umph and uh, you know, definitely kind of playing 60 minutes, which Miami yeah, hasn't necessarily done uh very often. So I mean, I think you can't you you can't just get crushed by Georgia Tech, man. That's just like I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter at this point, but I mean it would be just again another very, very disappointing Saturday if Miami just dials it in. Yeah, one interesting thing about Georgia Tech is they have earned a more impressive victory than Miami. Like Georgia Tech beat Pitt, which is better than any game Miami's yeah. went won. Uh Georgia Tech beat Duke, who yeah. beat Miami head to head. So uh also Georgia Tech was more competitive against Florida State. Way more competitive. They only they only got whipped 41 to 16. So, anyways. Uh, and yeah, to your point in terms of the explosive offense, Georgia Tech is not that explosive. 12 plays on the year uh, of at least 30 yards, which ranks 114th. But you're playing Miami, chances are you're going to move up that list after playing the Hurricanes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Georgia Tech, one and a half point favorite on the betting line. Over under is a whopping 44 points. Yikes. Bet the under. Yeah. Uh, which of those do you like? I mean, I love the under. <laughs> love the under. Um, I think I think Miami's the worst team in the country against the spread this year. Uh, I don't want to do this. They're but awesome I mean, I, on unders lately, though. They are. I mean, of course, this offense is just brutal. Um, yeah, man, give me the under, and I don't know, man. I I, I don't want to take Georgia Tech plus whatever they are, one and a half. I'll take it. But I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm betting money for my, the Hurricanes to win a game for the rest of the year. So, uh, probably give me the Yellow Jackets and just another disappointing Saturday afternoon in the Eurydia household. Same. Um, score prediction: I'll go Georgia Tech sixteen, oh Miami gosh. thirteen. Yeah, I was gonna go like seventeen ten or something like that. Georgia Tech. I don't know. <laughs> like, I feel like it's just gonna be. It's just going to be terrible. I think it'll be like a similar Virginia-ish type God. of game. So I don't think I'm ready to sit through another one of those. <laughs> so the, obviously that one was, what, 14 to 12, Miami yeah. in four overtimes. So the Georgia Tech-Virginia game, they played Thursday night in October. That was another brutal watch. It was 16 to 9. Uh, Virginia won, remember? They won that game going Yikes. into the Miami game. So... You know, Miami, Georgia Tech, Virginia, all on the same level, just battling it out. Uh, are they defensive struggle, defensive battles, or offensive struggle type of games? Offensive struggles. Yeah. I'm not giving this. I'm not giving either defense any credit. Well, much credit here. All right, so we'll see how this game goes. Um, let's go. Step up. Uh, if Miami wants to go bowling, they have to win this game. So, uh, let's see how it goes. Hopefully, uh, hopefully the Hurricanes can get it done in Atlanta. They have been good on the road. Right. I I will say this. I don't think you want to see a Mario Cristobal with a free December on his calendar. (laughs) Because recruiting is going to be absolutely wild. Yeah. Yep. So, we'll see how it goes. Uh, 3.30 kick. Another game. On the Bally Sports Network for the Miami Hurricanes. Let's go. Until next time, take care. Paris. 
Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.